This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 144, Suicide Awareness, with special guest, Rachel Clement Fiore. Welcome to Building Resilience, a podcast where theory, practical strategies, and inspiring stories show you how to unlock your best life. I'm your host, Leah Davidson. As a certified life coach, speech-language pathologist, and nervous system resilience expert, it is my mission to teach you how to be more resilient to life's adversities. I will show you how to manage your mind, befriend your nervous system, process your emotions, and even eliminate stress. It's time to do more than just survive. It's time to thrive. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. This is an important episode, but I do want to give warning up front that we are talking about some sensitive matters. And I think it's important that we talk about them, but I want to give you a heads up that it could be triggering for you. So always be taking care of yourself. Be safe. Put your own mental health first. I have a very, very special guest that I have brought on to talk about this topic today, as well as next week. It's going to be a two-part series. It is my daughter-in-law, Rachel, and we are going to be talking about suicide awareness this week, addressing some of the myths of suicide. And then next week, we are going to be talking about how to support someone who is dealing with a loss due to suicide. September is actually Suicide Awareness Month, so I thought it would be an appropriate time to share these topics. But also... I want to hand it over to Rachel now so she can tell you a little bit about herself and her interest in suicide awareness. Welcome, Rachel. Happy to have you on the podcast. Hello, everyone. As Leah mentioned, my name is Rachel, and I am married to her favorite son, Zach. (laughs) Sorry if any of her other kids are listening, but it is the truth. I am currently studying to become a nurse at Brigham Young University in Utah, And recently in the nursing program, I did the QPR gatekeeper training for suicide prevention. And we both look forward to sharing some of that information with you all today, as I know Leah also had taken that training. That's right. Yeah, it's an excellent training. I'll talk a little bit more at the end and we'll definitely link it in the show notes. But yeah. Yeah. So Leah invited me to participate in this podcast because unfortunately, My older brother actually just died by suicide on August 14th, so just about a month ago. It was a really big tragedy and has been a lot to process for everyone involved. And so I really hope that sharing what we have prepared for you all today will make a difference in many people's lives in the future. Yes, thank you. And I really appreciate you coming on, Rachel, because I know, like you said, it has been a lot to process for you, for your family for everyone involved. So I appreciate your willingness. I just also know that it's part of your personality and part of who you are and who you want to be as a nurse that you want to spread awareness. You want to share with people. Sometimes we go through things that we can't understand why and we'll never be able to figure out why. And there's probably no reason behind it. So we don't even try to figure out that why but we can still do something moving forward that can help other people in their lives. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. I also wanted to say that if you are somebody who is suffering or struggling, then you will want to make sure that you always will get immediate support. We are not doctors. We are not your medical professionals. We are simply just wanting to spread the word awareness to a cause that is dear to us. 
There are hotline numbers that you can call. I was looking, and in Canada, there is a talk suicide line, which is 1-833-456-4566. And then in the U.S., there is 988. Much easier number in the U.S. Hopefully Canada will at some point follow suit. I also want to share that the information that we're providing is taken from a lot of different resources that we pulled together. Primarily, we looked at the Mayo Clinic, the Samaritans Organization, and then the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention. So this is not our own information. We are passing along this information from people who know a whole lot more than we do. We are just learning as well, and we definitely want to learn more. There are a ton of resources out there, so I really encourage you to reach for those. If you want to learn more, then I strongly suggest that everybody does take a suicide prevention and awareness course, like the one that Rachel suggested. It was a QPR gatekeepers one that you took, right? Yes. And it actually didn't take very long. It was just over a couple of days, but there was a lot of really, really helpful information that you could apply immediately. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the same one that I took. I think it was strongly encouraged that anybody who's in a helping profession should be doing it. But I really look and when I took that course, I think parents, siblings, friends, we all need to be taking it because we are all each other's best resources. Mm -hmm. So I'll link that in the show notes. Now, today, we do want to share with you some of the myths about suicide, because I think that as we debunk some of these myths, then it helps us to become a lot more aware. And we're first going to start with some stats. So maybe, Rachel, do you want to share with us some of the statistics? And obviously, you're in the States right now, but we're both Canadian. So there's a similarity. I tried to get some Canadian and U.S. stats, but I think it's safe to assume that it's going to be pretty similar. Yeah, exactly. So suicide is the 11th leading cause of death in America. In 2021, there were approximately 50,000 Americans who died by suicide, but there were actually 1.7 million attempts. Wow. Some other stats that I want to share because they kind of start debunking some of the myths that we have put together. So the age-adjusted suicide rate in 2021 was 14.04 per 100,000 individuals. And the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. And then these are some more like male versus female comparisons. So in 2021, men died by suicide 3.9 times more than women. And on average, there are 132 suicides per day. And this is all still for the United States. White males accounted for 69.68% of suicide deaths in 2021. And firearms accounted for 54.64% of all suicide deaths even though they only represent 5 to 6% of suicide attempts. Mm. But when people have attempted, it's much higher. Yeah. Now, the stats in Canada, remember, we're just dealing with a smaller population all around. There's approximately 12 people die by suicide each day. There's approximately 45,000 deaths by suicide. And suicide rates are approximately three times higher among men compared to women. So there's that stat again that this is more prevalent with males. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among youth and young adults in the age of 15 to 34. So that just gives you a little bit of a flavor. This is a widespread problem that we have across the board. And you can see that males account for more suicide deaths. But Rachel, you were telling me something interesting that you had come across. Yeah, just in my reading, 
even though they account for more of the suicide deaths, women actually typically attempt more. However, men use more of the lethal methods. And those are kind of outlined in some studies versus what is considered lethal and a non-lethal attempt suicide. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously don't come to us for all the the details. We'll just try to get out there to show that it is a problem. And more importantly, regardless of the stats on such a personal level for so many people, they have experienced loss due to suicide. And I do want to briefly mention the language that we use about suicide, because I think this is important too. We no longer are saying things like committed suicide, because that sort of implies like a criminal that has committed an act. So the appropriate term to say is died by suicide. Or some of the other ones that I had read was death by their own hand, which seemed very formal to me. And we can also drop saying things like a failed attempt or a successful attempt or a completed suicide, because it's really not about failure or success. We can merely say an attempted suicide. And these may be small, But I think language matters and we want to be as respectful as we can to people as possible. So the proper language is that they died by suicide. All right, let's jump in and talk about some of the myths. And some of these specific ones that we're sharing are from, like I said, the Mayo Clinic and the Samaritans Organization. Why don't you get us started, Rachel? So the first myth is talking about suicide increases the chance a person will act on it which has been proven time and time again, that that is not the case. That's right. In fact, talking about suicide can actually reduce suicidal Mm -hmm. ideation. Opening up the conversation can really help people see that maybe there's another perspective, that there's another way of looking at things. Suicide can often be such a taboo topic and People who are feeling suicidal, they often don't want to worry or burden anyone with how they feel, so they just don't discuss it. Exactly. And by bringing it up, you actually give them that permission to express how they're feeling and they can feel that it's more of a safe place for them. Exactly. Exactly. So once somebody starts talking, they've got a better chance of discovering options that aren't suicide. And so evidence shows that asking someone if they are suicidal can actually protect them. Yeah, and potentially save their life. Yeah, because they feel listened to and hopefully less trapped. Their feelings are validated and they know that somebody cares about them. Now, of course, I do also want to add that we're very cognizant that while these are myths, oftentimes we may talk to somebody and ask somebody and they still may decide to go through with it. We're trying to decrease the chance and the risk, but... If you have talked with somebody and they did end up dying by suicide, then this is also not your fault that you didn't talk to them properly or they didn't share. These are generalities that we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And this kind of actually leads into the next myth where people often think that you shouldn't ask someone if they're suicidal because it might plant the idea in their head. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that, Leah? Yeah, that's totally not the case. One of the things that you learn in the course is to be very direct. I've worked many years in the area of traumatic brain injury, and it is common enough that people will talk about their feelings and give indications that they're suicidal. And there have been many times that I have come out point blank and asked them, are you suicidal? Do you have a plan? And 
again, it gives people permission to tell you how they feel and it opens the gateway for discussion. If they share with you that they are suicidal, it allows you the opportunity to then reach out to make sure that they get the proper help that they need. Yeah. And give them the resources and guide them. Exactly. Another myth is people who talk about suicide are just seeking attention. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I feel like I've heard that a lot with my peers and in discussions. After even taking this training, I would hear that a lot. But it's not true. People who die from suicide have often told someone about not wanting to live anymore or talking about how they don't really see a future for them. And so it's really important to take that seriously, even if you're not sure. What I have read is that, yeah, it may be possible that they want attention, but the attention that they want is likely calling out for help and wanting the support. I think even if we think, oh, they're not going to do it, they're not serious, maybe they're using it as a manipulation tools, regardless, that is an indication that they are suffering. For somebody even to use it in that way, it's an indication that they're suffering. So we have to be taking it seriously. And I think we have to remove that judgment of people that if they say it, that they are just attention seeking and shouldn't be taken seriously. And Totally. Because it makes people less likely to say because they don't want to seem like they're seeking attention, right? Yeah. Exactly. So take it seriously, help people get the support that they need because it could end up saving their life if you are taking it seriously. Yeah. The next myth is that people who are suicidal want to die. Mm. When in fact, the majority of people who feel suicidal do not actually want to die. They just want the situation that they're in or the way that they're feeling to stop. And it's the only way they can think of Mm. to make that stop. Yeah. And as I said, in the literature that we're reading, the distinction may seem really small. Mm -hmm. Like the difference is I don't want to live in this situation, but I think it's a big distinction. And that's why helping somebody and talking through different options is so helpful because a lot of them, they just don't know how to find the options. They don't know how to see things in a different light. Yeah. They don't know how to find relief. Exactly. Exactly. I read somewhere, or I think it was actually a client had shared with me. She said, the pain of them being alive is greater than the pain that will be experienced by the people they leave behind. And that's really what the thought is that my pain is so much greater. The things that I am going through is so much greater than what other people will have to go through when I'm gone. So I think we, we want to be careful about assuming that they wanted to die, really just understanding they were coming from a place of a lot of deep pain. Yeah. The next one is suicide can't be prevented. Suicide is preventable, but unpredictable is what I have read. And most people who contemplate suicide, as we said, they are experiencing tremendous emotional pain and they don't see the way out. And often what we do is help them to find alternate routes for themselves if we can. So it is preventable. Yeah. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that it's not just one thing causing someone to attempt suicide. It's usually 
a combination of genes, mental illness, environmental risk factors, all these different things. Well, another myth is people who take their own lives are selfish, cowards, or weak. And this, I think, is one that if you haven't yourself experienced some mental health challenges or had somebody close in your life experience mental health challenges, you may think that. You maybe not say it out loud because I think in general people would say, oh, I don't think that. But I think it's yeah. out there. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like this one is one that people don't really say, but kind of subconsciously think, or when they hear about it, they kind of think that way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But we know that people don't die of suicide by choice. They Mm -hmm. are experiencing significant emotional pain, and it is difficult for them to see other ways out of their situation. And and many of the reasons, and like what you said earlier, Rachel, it's not just one thing. It's very complex for people. It's often associated with things like mental illness, but not always. And I think we're going to get to one of those myths later on. Yeah. And I think something that someone said to me that has been pretty comforting is that suicide in regards to how it's not a choice, it is something that happens to people. That's kind of why we've changed the lingo. They died by suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's something that happens to them. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to make that distinction, especially for being respectful towards people who are going through the grieving process and to people who are also in pain. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for bringing that up. And I know next week we're going to talk about, you know, dealing with loss, but I think it is important, even these myths, understanding them, debunking them, being very careful of our language is also in respect of the family members and loved ones who are grieving. The next myth is that teenagers and college students are the most at risk for suicide. And I feel like I've heard this a lot and I have kind of thought this. So this one was a little bit more shocking to me. But the suicide rate for this age group is actually below the national average, and suicide risk increases with age. So the group with the highest suicide rate in the U.S. is men and women between 45 and 64. I think that in a lot of the literature, we see that suicide is a problem among all ages and all groups. Yeah. So we want to be open to understanding that There are people in all age groups, all stages of life who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And we have to be aware of that. Yeah. The next myth is that barriers to bridges, safe firearm storage, and other actions to reduce access to lethal methods of suicide don't work. Now, that's interesting because we live in Toronto and very close by to us, we have a bridge. And years ago, they put up barriers on the bridge and they tried to make it look nice, but everybody knew the reason they were doing that is it had become a popular area because there was a highway right below. And I think there was a lot of people who talked about how, what a waste of money that was. And you really think that's going to stop somebody. And actually, yes, if we can inject a little bit of pause time, if it can be a little bit harder, then sometimes that can make a difference. And so limiting access, making it a little bit harder. And certainly that is one of the things I talked about with firearms. It is actually one of the simplest strategies to decrease the chances of suicide 
is by making it harder to access things like firearms. Yeah, especially because the research shows that it's typically an impulsive decision. That's right. That like split second decision that really can change everything. Change everything, yeah. So separating somebody from a lethal means could actually provide them some time to think before doing mm-hmm. harm and some time for somebody maybe to reach them. Now, of course, that is not always the case. We're talking generalities here. But yep. we can make small changes in areas and that can be far reaching. Yeah, totally. So this next myth was actually really interesting to me. It's that you have to be mentally ill to think about suicide. I think that a lot of people think that. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yep. common question, right? When somebody does die by suicide, the next question is, were they mentally ill? Yeah. Were they depressed? What was going on in their life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the stats are one in five people have thought about suicide at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. And not all people who die by suicide have mental health problems at the time they die. Now they could have struggled in the past and the research said that it was like typically to a serious degree, but this may or may not have been known before the person's death. So you can't really draw conclusions one way or the other all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just interesting to note that sometimes we think there's a typical profile and yeah. maybe statistically there is, but there are many people who don't meet that profile. And that's yeah. why I think we always have to be taking it seriously and we have to be looking out for the warning signs, which leads us into the next myth of you can't tell when someone is feeling suicidal. I will offer that we're going to share with you some of the warning signs, but suicide is very complex and how people act and how they cope is very, very different for each person. So there are some things that we can look out for, but there are times where we won't notice the warning signs. I just want to be really careful in people not blaming themselves if they did miss warning signs or if they did have it. Yes, there are some warning signs, but as we just said, that not everybody who dies by suicide has mental health challenges that would be really obvious for us. Yeah. Well, I can even just share that I saw my brother two weeks before he died by suicide. And it is hard when you're not really looking out for anything where some people can put on a good show for a couple hours during a family dinner, Mm -hmm. right? So you can't do the whole blame game, but there are still a bunch of things that you can and should try to look out for. But again, like Leah said, not everyone is the same. And I didn't really see any of those warning signs in my Mm -hmm. brother. Mm -hmm. So it kind of is a person by person. Yes. And if I can just share that you and Zach created a video of your brother that was shared at the funeral. And this video illustrated that your brother's life was filled with so much joy and relationships. And he had three beautiful children and, you know, really had a big love of life and, I think it just indicates that when you watch that video, (laughs) you never would have expected it, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, When you look on the outside. Yeah. 
Yeah. People have a lot of emotions and I'm not saying that he didn't have a lot of joy and a lot of fullness and richness, but there is another side obviously where he was in a tremendous amount of pain. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the common signs? Start us off with some of those. Yes. So talking about suicide, making statements such as I'm going to kill myself. I wish I were dead or I wish I hadn't been born. And I would even actually take this further to people who make jokes about suicide because a lot of times people try to use humor, interject humor when they're actually feeling really dark, but they make these jokes, not all the time, Mm -hmm. but many times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Another one is where you see that maybe they are getting the means to take their life. Maybe they are buying a gun or stockpiling pills or purchasing rope or something like that. Just little indicators or sometimes they're bigger indicators. They may have a good justification for it, but just something to have on your radar. Yeah. Another one is withdrawing from social contact, wanting to be left alone, starting to isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having those mood swings, maybe, you know, emotionally high, emotionally low. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is feeling trapped or hopeless about a situation. So you can start to notice this if they are in contact with you and talking to you about things. I feel like you might not typically know about that unless they are confiding in you about something. Yeah. Like it's not one that's as easily seen on the surface. You may notice a change in routine. Maybe it's a change in their eating habits or sleeping habits. Maybe there's an increased use of alcohol or drugs. Maybe they are doing something that is more self-destructive, maybe more reckless. That can be an indicator. Another one is giving away belongings or getting affairs in order when there is no other logical explanation for doing this. And it can be really close to when they Mm -hmm. attempt and it could be stretched out over a longer period of time. Saying goodbye to people as if they Mm -hmm. won't see them again. And that also could be a really hard one to pick up on because we do talk to people and say bye. And sometimes we know we're not going to see them for a long period of time. So again, sometimes it depends on how much contact you have on them in a daily basis and how you're going to be able to pick up on these things. Yeah. Another one is seeing or noticing any personality changes. So especially when it's in combination with other warning signs that we covered. Mm -hmm. The hard thing is, is a lot of these things people experience and it's nothing. Like there's a lot of reasons why people will have mood swings or withdraw or will feel very preoccupied. It doesn't necessarily mean, but I do think we have to have a heightened sense of alert. It's putting all these pieces together. If there's multiple things at the same time, and there's no harm in just coming out and asking if you notice these things. I was just going to say that, like we talked about before, you can't plant the idea in someone's head. Mm -hmm. So if you are concerned, just say something. And if they want to hide it from you, they'll still hide it from you. But if they were almost waiting for that interaction to happen, then it could bring it out into the light instead of staying in the dark. Exactly. Now, another myth is that things like therapy and medications don't work. Treatment can and does work. And one of the best ways to prevent suicide is by getting people help, getting them treatment. If they're struggling with depression or some type of abuse, if they have 
lots of different problems that, that people will find themselves in if they're having relationship problems, if they're having eating problems, substance abuse, financial problems, if they're having any kind of issue, talking and getting appropriate support for those issues is crucial. Yeah. If someone confides in you, you do not have to bear that burden and handle it alone. In fact, most of us aren't equipped with the proper ways to help someone through this. So they might be resistant at first, but I think it's really important to continue offering and suggesting getting professional help. Yeah. You're in nursing now, and I've been a speech pathologist for a long time, but even as a coach, we know that we are obligated when somebody brings up to us that they are having um, thoughts of suicide or have a plan of suicide, that we are obligated actually to get that professional help. And will they be upset at us? We don't know, but we do know that getting help from a trained professional as quickly as possible is the way to go. Because like you said, most of us are not equipped and trained. And one of the things the training teaches you is how most of us aren't equipped and trained. Exactly. It really exposes that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you don't know what to do for you to call the suicide hotlines that we mentioned before, you know, the Canadian one is 1-833-456-4566. And in the US it's 988 because they are trained and they can tell you what you can do or how you can do it. So you're really not responsible for preventing anybody from taking their own life, but your intervention, that what you do and what you say and what the next step is can be a source of support for them and it can help them get the help that they need and to stay safe. Yeah. I love that word intervention that you use. We use that so much in nursing. It's not necessarily the solution. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a confirmed outcome, but it is something that you can do to maybe change the outcome. Absolutely. So true. The last myth is that most suicides happen in the winter months. I had never heard of this one before. I hadn't either. I could see with seasonal depression, how people might think that it most often happens winter months, but I'm much, I didn't know about this. I did say that it is more common in the spring, which is interesting to me, but there's also a noticeable peak in risk on new year's day. Really interesting to me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't even know. I don't want to try to read into it, but I think it's just interesting to observe that some of these myths that we have, they're not accurate. And we shared these myths with you today to help build awareness. I know that I certainly believe some of these myths which is why I wanted to share them. Because I think if we become more aware, if we're more educated, then we're going to be more able to reach people who are suffering and provide support. So if you do want to learn more, then I would encourage you to check out, there's some great resources online. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has its AFSP.org. They have an amazing amount of resources on their website. And the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, which is suicideprevention.ca, they also have like a wealth of information for suicide prevention, as well as people who are thinking of suicide or families who are dealing with suicide loss, which we'll talk more about next week. But there is support and help and education out there. And you can also look into the training that we talked about. You can become a QPR gatekeeper.
And there's a few of them that are out there. I think it's just important that we become aware and we talk more openly about it. We remove the shame around talking Mm -hmm. about it because people have lots of struggles. We never know what kind of pain somebody's in. And so we want to do what we can to support them in their times of adversities. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about losing someone and coping with the loss. Rachel will come back and uh, be with us then too. I so appreciate you coming on, Rachel, and sharing what I know is such a difficult thing for both you and your family. Yeah. Well, I think awareness is really important. So I'm going to keep trying to do this as much as I can. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. All right. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.